0: I know exactly what you need in your life. More practice squad. So
1: give us a follow on Instagram at practice underscore squad underscore podcasts. Our posts are phenomenal. Our stories, probably even better. And our hairline's undefeated. Again, that's practice underscore squad underscore podcasts. Check it out and give us a follow. Squad
0: out. We are back with part two of the 2004 University of Utah Utes. This is, of course, the Practice Squad, and I am, of course, your host, Joe Wild, and I am joined this week by eazy Howdy. And not by Jeff. So, come to terms with that, because Jeff's gone.
1: I'd just like to say that Jeff's attending his sister's wedding through a pane of glass.
0: Yeah, because everything has to be done differently because the world is still on fire. And if you're coming to this podcast for updates on it, well, I got bad news for you, man. Things have gotten worse since last week.
1: Yeah, but you know what? We're going to provide some healthy distractions through nostalgia.
0: That's exactly what we're here for, and that's exactly what we're going to do. So without further ado, let's dive into it. After two weeks, the Youth star was now rising, and they were ranked number 15 in the country. And they looked more like a BCS conference team rather than a lowly Mountain West team. Of course, that was how the nation perceived the Mountain West, not how we did. Um, At this time, Urban Meyer was suddenly becoming the number one head coaching prospect in the country. Lots of teams were showing interest in him. ESPN was doing a bit of research to see if they could find out who would be in the best position to buy out his contract because Urban was contracted through 2005. He was supposed to stay with the team for another year. Um, Now, of course, we all know how that ended, and we'll get to that, and we'll do the specifics later on. But at the time, Urban Meyer was kind of given all the credit for it. This was still early in the season, of course. Alex Smith was perhaps, if not as big a contributor, maybe even greater to what this team's success was. And looking at Alex Smith's career and how he got to the University of Utah is kind of interesting. So, Alex Smith, born just outside of Seattle, Washington, moved to, uh, let's see, La Mesa, California, not Costa Mesa, La Mesa. California names are confusing, man.
1: Yeah, there's a place called, well, it's spelled Los Gatos, but it's pronounced like Las Queres or something like that. Like, it it doesn't make any sense.
0: I I should expect better. Or, I shouldn't expect better, but I do. Anyway, La Mesa, California is where Alex Smith played his high school football at Helix High School. Uh, Helix High was a private school where Alex Smith's dad was an executive and principal of. Nice. Well, I mean, that would... I don't know, would you like your dad to be the principal of your high school?
1: Uh, Well, my dad, he worked in juvenile corrections, so he pretty much was the principal of my life already. And whenever I'd punch my brother or anything, he'd put me in the gooseneck, which is the hold where your wrist gets turned into a gooseneck, and uh, I would cut whatever crap I was doing right the heck out. So I'd imagine Alex Smith grew up similarly.
0: My dad would be an interesting principal, and he's listening to this, so hey, Goober.
1: My dad doesn't listen to this, so I can say whatever I want. Dad, you don't have any hair. All right. Hey.
0: You should get your dad to listen to us, dude. I've tried. All right. Well, so Alex Smith, of course, we all know the football player that he was, uh, but his dad was not necessarily a fan of football. Um, as far as his dad was concerned... Playing football was an afterthought, and Alex was going to be a student before he was an athlete. So he made Alex take as many advanced placement, and uh, they were taking a bunch. He was taking a bunch of uh, general ed classes through San Diego State while he was in high school, while he was playing football. So he actually graduated high school with his associate's degree already. Dang. That's like the way you want to do it, though. I mean, I wish I could have done that. Granted, I had all of the opportunities to do that. I just did not have, um, what's it called, uh, the desire?
1: If someone would have told me, or if I had comprehended the worth of $10,000 when I was 15, I think I would have done it. But, you know, desire, stupidity, distractions, I'm still working on that associate's degree.
0: I wish I could go back and tell my high school self so many things.
1: Same here. So Alex Smith, good on you for doing it the right way, Ben.
0: And he was doing it right on the football field as well. Because in just two years as a starting quarterback, Alex went 25-1, and winning section titles both years. I say section titles because he was part of a kind of different sort of private school league. I don't know. Hard to explain. I'm not going to go into the greater details of California private high school football.
1: Yeah, no need to get into the nitty-gritty of the hoity-toity, you know what I mean?
0: But he did win two championships, was named team MVP twice, was named league MVP a senior year, and was named to all conference teams both years.
1: So this dude basically is a superhero. Super mind strength and super football strength.
0: You would think that that would relate or that would translate to a high recruiting position, right? You'd be wrong. Alex Smith was a two-star recruit with just a handful of offers, the most prestigious of them being the University of Utah.
1: Hey, yo, let's go.
0: So, Alex joins the University of Utah, obviously. And a side note, he is the only two-star recruit to ever be drafted number one overall.
1: Add that to his list of accomplishments.
0: And Well, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say he's the only, because some people say Eric Fisher was a two-star Eric Fisher also is a bad offensive lineman, and we're going to leave that at that. All the Eric Fisher fans can come at me if they want to.
1: Oh, all three of them will. They'll shout you out on Twitter.
0: Let's see here. All right. Well, let's move on to this week's games uh, in which the Utes first traveled to Logan. Now, if you're a more recent college football fan in the state of Utah, You probably think of Utah State as a pretty decent program, and you would think that Utah State would have been a solid competitor for the Utes. But Utah State has not always been the program they are today, and in fact, for most of their history, they've been really bad.
1: Yeah, they've been a steaming pile of bowl manure.
0: For a long time, it was... Well, they always called that game the Battle of the Brothers. That was like the rivalry nickname. And the Utah fans... Always knew Utah State was the little brother. Even when Utah was bad, Utah State was worse.
1: who? And that's pretty bad because Utah is pretty bad for a long time.
0: Utah had some rough moments. But uh, specifically in the early to mid 2000s, things were really ugly for Utah State. And they weren't about to get any easier. Uh, we'll go into a little bit more details on the game here in a moment. First, we're going to take a break. <laughs> Here at the Practice Squad, we obviously love sports. And when it's time for us to work out, we want to emulate the athletes we talk about each week. And in Utah, there's only one place we can train like an athlete. At the Training Room, located at 710 South, Utah Valley Drive, American Fork, Utah, 84003. Here they offer on-site sports medicines for all members, which includes deep tissue massage, physical therapy, chiropractic adjustments, and injury prevention training. Lord knows we need that. Beyond the standard memberships, they offer personal and group training classes like their own unique hype training. Other classes include Muay Thai boxing, pre- and postnatal yoga, and for younger athletes, they offer sport-specific strength and conditioning training for individuals and teams. Head over to tell the Practice Squad sent you. Peace.
1: squad, this is Easy e coming at you to say that if you've ever had a desire to kick ass, then head on over to Draper Kenpo. Black belt master Gator Conley will teach you how to chomp on the competition. At Draper Kenpo, a student learns self-respect, discipline, agility, and most importantly, how to kick that ass. Call or text for information at 801-810-5772. That number again is 801-810-5772. Now, karate chop your way to Draper Kempo at 720 East and 10,600 South and Sandy. hi Squad out.
0: Alright, so Utah up in Logan. Um, now, Utah State, they didn't really seem to think that they had a big chance in this game. Uh, their head coach uh, at a boosters meeting the Thursday before the game he was asked about going 0-4 in his previous four games against Utah and he said well they've had some good teams but it's a rivalry game and you never know what could happen which is always the sign that things are about to go real bad if you're a head coach
1: yeah that's usually when the surrender cobra starts popping out in the fans
0: when you're just like hope when it's just all you can come up with is hey it's a rivalry game maybe they'll you know be bad for some reason because weird things do happen in rivalry games but not that weird
1: I mean thank goodness it wasn't anything too weird this time I would assume right or am I gonna assume wrong uh
0: you're gonna assume correctly so uh the Aggies did enter the game with a bold strategy uh of not keeping score bold strategy and when I say not keeping score I mean that in, during the pre-game warm-ups uh the scoreboard broke
1: so the scoreboard broke, they didn't keep score for how much of the game, the whole game?
0: Well, so unfortunately for Utah State, even if the scoreboard's not working, like, scores still count. So, towards the end of the first quarter, they finally got the scoreboard working, and when it turned on, it said 20-0 to for Utah. <laughs>
1: nice.
0: Utah had scored in the first quarter three times with Paris Warren, Marty Johnson, and Alex Smith, all having touchdown runs. And, of course, another missed PAT because can't have a game without one of those. Uh, then, entering the second quarter, you would think things maybe get better. No, they get worse. Quinton Ganther ran for a touchdown. Alex Smith threw to Paris Warren for a long touchdown. And the defense also got in on the fun with a 76-yard pick-six from Jonathan Finene. Did they watch him
1: whip and then they watched him Finene? Is that how it went?
0: Watch me whip. Now watch me Finene.
1: That's not like that had to have happened, or is this before the whip and the nene?
0: This was like a decade minimum before the whip and the nene.
1: My dance history knowledge is super limited. I'm like the Utah state of dance history knowledge. So yeah, but
0: you were there. Like this was, you were there when it happened.
1: You know, like some things, you know, they just pass you by. Like the whip and the nene. It's like it feels like it's always been a part of my culture.
0: Our culture is sad and broken at times.
1: It is, but hey, at least we got the finene pick six. Ayo.
0: So the Utes led 41-0 to zero at halftime. Uh, that would be the largest halftime lead of the season. And coming into the second half, Urban Meyer decided to pull the starters, which did allow Utah State to finally score a garbage-time touchdown. It also gave uh, Utah's backup quarterback, a then-freshman, Brian Johnson, uh, the opportunity to throw his first touchdown pass, which he did to John Madsen.
1: Heck yeah.
0: Which, that's something that, and I feel kind of stupid for this because I'm obviously the diehard Utah fan of everything. I didn't realize that Brian Johnson was an active player on that roster. I thought Brian Johnson was in his redshirt year. Or, I, honestly, I didn't even know he was actually on the team at that point. I kind of thought 2005 was his freshman season.
1: I mean, it makes sense doing the math, but I, I remember him being a fifth-year starter. It just didn't, I didn't connect the dots realizing that he'd yeah, be a part I of the team. Yeah, I guess I didn't
0: ever think about it like that because it's like you, Alex Smith, is 04 Brian Johnson is 08. You forget that they were teammates. It's weird to think about it like that. Yeah, it is. So Utah, uh, they finish off the route. It's 48 to six. Uh, after the game, Utah sports writer Kurt Cragthor- Kurt Cragthorpe. I'm gonna try it a third time. Kurt Cragthorpe. You got a weird name, Kurt. He described the game as one where the Utes looked as good as they are, and the Aggies looked as bad as they are. I would say that's pretty accurate. would you say? I would. I remember at this time, do you remember, so everybody knows SportsCenter has the top 10 plays, and then on Fridays they do the bottom 10 plays. At the same time, they were doing something similar where they would rank the top 10 teams in the country and the bottom 10 teams in the country. And I believe this season, Utah State finished in the bottom 10 according to ESPN. Woohoo! Rough year to be an Aggie. I wonder what going to a football game was like on Utah State campus.
1: So here's what you did: you got a brown garbage bag, paper, cut a couple holes in it, put it over your head, then you went to the game.
0: You see, I would say that the plan should just be to get like hammered and just go and be loud.
1: Yeah, there was a lot of people that were hammered. They would have their paper bag on backwards. That's how you could tell who the really drunk ones are because their eye holes were just showing puffs of hair out back.
0: Yeah. Well, Utah, no trouble with Air Force, and they move on to their second or their fourth game of the season, uh, which would be their second home game uh, against Air Force. And if you're a longtime Ute fan, you know that whenever we played Air Force, it was always a tough game. Air Force, which one you kind of can't root against. Air Force, like I remember, I went to one Utah Air Force game. Um, Really, really cool game to be at because they had two F22s fly over the stadium. Sick Like about it looked like they were about 50 feet above the stadium lights when they came over. it was awesome. Um, and it was pouring rain and it went in overtime. like it seems almost all of the Utah Air Force games went to overtime. Uh, and of course the previous year, Utah had had a crazy game uh, where they won 48 to 45 in triple overtime. They had triple overtime triple overtime. It was at the time, I think it was the first triple overtime game uh, in Utah's history.
1: And it wouldn't be the last.
0: Unfortunately. Triple overtime is so much fun when it's a game you're casually watching. When you're actually watching it, that's like cardiac arrest.
1: Yeah, it's like a cardiac clogger. It's like that sandwich from the Simpsons movie. It just takes years off your life by participating.
0: It does. You know, there have been so many Utah games that I genuinely think have had detrimental effects on my long-term health. In fact, I can actually tell a brief story here. So, Utah-BYU 2016, it was the game where Taysom Hill got stopped on the one-yard line on the two-point conversion. I have a nervous tick where I'll put my thumbs inside my fist and just kind of hold them there. And I did that with my left hand for the entire game. To the point to where that thumb dislocated. And now it just dislocates on its own super easily.
1: Holy crap.
0: Yeah. So that's actually like permanent damage that I did to my hand.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a recurring problem now that you've had as a result of your nervous tick. I'm surprised you didn't punch a hole through your palm.
0: Yep. And I wish I could tell you that was the last time I had a self-inflicted injury due to nervousness because of a Utah game.
1: Narrator voice. It was not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right. And... Being that it was Air Force, of course this meant that Utah had to have a close game. All right. And, of course, the friendly rivalry with Air Force, um, Utah starts the game off slow. In fact, it's the slowest start they would have all season, and it's the game that would face their largest deficit. At the end of the first quarter, Utah was trailing 14-0. to 0. It was the only time during the season they would trail by, I believe, more than seven points.
1: Dang. They were down in the first quarter.
0: Yep, they gave up two touchdowns in the first quarter. Uh, The offense was slow. Um, The vibe on the sideline was not one of panic for at least most of the team. Um, According to some of the players, uh, including Alex Smith, the only person who looked concerned was head coach Urban Meyer who even said after the game, quote, I was in a panic. Urban Meyer thought that he had lost this game. Um, Now, it was here that Kyle Whittingham showed his head coaching prowess, where he, he started off just trying to rally his defense, but the whole team ended up gathering around him, and he effectively gave the cliche movie halftime speech at the end of the first quarter on the sideline. Utah was able to catch fire midway through the second and scored 21 unanswered via Steve Savoy, Marty Johnson, and Alex Smith. The le- they led 21 to 14 at halftime. Utah scored two more times before Air Force scored again, meaning that Utah allowed 14 unanswered points, then scored 35 unanswered of their own, then allowed another 14 from Air Force, and then scored 14 more of their own. It was a weird game in terms of scoring. Um, but in the second quarter, the scoring looked like this. Steve Savoy caught a 13-yard touchdown pass, and Marty Johnson added three more rushing touchdowns. And
1: then you got the hat trick on the touchdowns there from Marty.
0: He actually had four because he had one in the first half as well.
1: Dang. All right.
0: He had, and Marty Johnson's stat line for this game was really interesting, too. 15 carries, 74 yards, and four touchdowns.
1: They have four touchdowns and less than 100 yards rushing. That means that your offense is doing really good getting into the red zone and he's finishing off drives.
0: That's pretty much exactly what it was. And Marty Johnson was also a hammer. He was not a shifty back. That was a guy who was going to run through you. And he did. And uh, Air Force did, of course, get one more touchdown uh, in garbage time, but Utah was able to hold on, winning the game 49-35. to That 35 points would be the most any team put up against Utah during the season.
1: I believe it. That defense that year is amazing.
0: That defense was incredible, and with Air Force, it's... Air Force is one of those teams where it's like you look at them, and you don't ever know exactly what you're going to get, because even during that same season, they opened up the year against Cal, uh, quarterbacked by Aaron Rodgers. Um, boo. Yeah, I mentioned that just so you'd boo him. But Cal was able to beat them 56 to 14. So that... Utah giving up 35 to them was almost was detrimental to their ranking. But the thing about Air Force is they've always run that triple option, and you never know what you're actually going to get with the team that runs the triple option. Because if they're hitting it, they'll run for 400 yards on you easy. And even with Kyle Whittingham's blitz-heavy defense, they were still able to run on us, obviously. Now, after the game, uh, this is, again, one of my favorite things to look at. Is the opposing head coach's comments after the games? Uh, Air Force's head coach Fisher DeBerry, great name for a head coach. Uh, he said after the game, "I take nothing away from them, but by gosh, nobody will go through this conference undefeated." Wrong. Yeah, good call there. Good call there, Fisher. I looked at his name for about three minutes before I could actually put together which part of it was which part.
1: Yeah, because he has a he has a last name for a first name and half of a first name for a last name.
0: I was like, yeah, is it Barry D. Fisher? And I, I'm pretty sure it's Fisher to Barry. We're going to go ahead and say it's Fisher to Barry. If I'm wrong, I don't know, hit me on LinkedIn.
1: Yeah, maybe you'll get, like, a request from Fisharkis Berrius, and it's like, oh, that was your name the whole time. Fisharkis <laughs> Berrius.
0: <laughs> now, after the game, uh, again, in the interviews, uh, Alex Smith said, I don't think there was any nervousness at all, aside from Coach Urban.
1: Yeah, that would be a running thing. Coach Urban, uh, you know, had put himself in some high-stress situations.
0: You know, all those high-stress situations, that could be rough on your heart, Urban.
1: Uh, you know, just because of that, and in no way, shape, or form, uh, is it because of the many scandals and crimes that have been committed by my coworkers and players that I will step down.
0: <laughs> uh, Urban. You're one hell of a coach, and... Maybe a sketchy at best person. Absolutely. Anyway, moving forward, uh, an interesting side note on this game. Kirk Cragthorpe again, he was talking about the Utes afterwards and he was talking about how this wasn't any reason to be nervous because not every game was going to be Utah jumping out like they did in the previous three. And then he also talked about how this game meant that we were still well within our goal of making it to the Liberty Bowl.
1: Was the Liberty Bowl is that, that's not one of the New Year's Bowls. That's not a big bowl at all, right?
0: The Liberty Bowl is it was a big bowl, but at this point in time it wasn't. The Liberty Bowl was basically the consolation bowl you got for winning the Mountain West Conference. It's what Utah went to the previous season when they were a two-loss team.
1: Did they won the Mountain West that year? Yes, they did. Okay, so they went to the Liberty Bowl and they're like, "We want to go back.
0: Well, and the reason they said they wanted to go back is because, as I said in the first episode, no team had ever done this before. No team from outside the BCS had made it to a BCS Bowl game. And the rules were done in such a way that you basically had to be undefeated, and you had to be ranked in the top six. The top six in the country to make it to a BCS Bowl. Not just top ten, top six. Utah paved the way for all these other teams to be able to make it a little bit easier, but them getting it done in 2004 was impossibly difficult.
1: That just speaks to the character, the determination, the grit, and the drive of this team.
0: Who Yes, it does. And we're going to have more about this awesome team uh, coming up next week with part three.
1: All right, so one question I have for you before we go. How much would someone have to pay you to try to tackle Marty Johnson Oh, four 4 season?
0: I, I mean, they could pay me however much they wanted to. Do I have to tackle him to get paid?
1: You have to attempt to tackle him. Like, really attempt to tackle him. Do I have pads? Yes. He has pads, too,
0: though. I'd probably just send it for $1,000 to say I did it.
1: Okay, so you're saying $1,000 is your break-even point. That's when it would become worth it to you.
0: Yeah, I'd just do it just because.
1: Okay. So, based on your dislocated thumb... And the litany of other medical issues, how much you think your hospital bill would be?
0: Ooh, that's a good point. Maybe five thousand, so I'm actually breaking even on the hospital bills.
1: There you go. Okay, that's the number I wanted. I wanted to see how much you would need for your hospital bills and then the profit that you would make. I don't think i will make account.
0: I don't think I'm making a profit at that point. I think that's dead even.
1: It's dead even it's like five grand for the medical bills. I tried to tackle Marty Johnson. Cool experience, yellow.
0: And then I'll also get like a cool like carbon fiber replacement shoulder
1: well that'd be dope you could get shot there and then it would just you know like bounce off and reflect back at him and hit them instead yeah that's how those work right
0: sure thing yeah, well we've gone great. off the rails here and i think that is no better time to call it quits
1: that's right all right you know what it is squad be good but be good at it
0: peace